Well, I trust that you brought the word with you today. We want to do a little bit of work this morning. And uh, it's, it's always, I mean, it's always a good thing to be in the word. Amen. And that's what we want to do today. So we go to, to Job chapter one. We're going to be looking at Job chapter one. And uh, we'll be looking at verses one through twelve and just kind of reminding us a little bit about um, his situation. And and many of us, we've read through that. And so we're very familiar with the story. Um, But let me say this as far as background goes, that 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 we're we're kind of moving back into really it's a part two of connecting with God. We spoke about that a couple months ago. And so this is kind of part two about how we get connected with God. And I, I think the question is, when we talk about getting connected with God, is, is what about when things go wrong? You know, when things go wrong, when things are not, you know, going quite like, you know, we would like them to. You know, you know, when people get frustrated and they become angry because maybe God is not answering our prayer. Or it seems like the more we pray, the more silent God becomes. I mean, where is God when all that kind of stuff is happening and we get frustrated with that? And, and I think they're legitimate concerns. I mean, legitimately, when we ask the questions like the title of one book is where where is God? Not only when things go wrong, but why do bad things happen to good people? Does that make sense? And so we ask this kind of question. When we come to the word and, and I, I think it's a comfortable place for us to be because the word is not a disconnected, non-reality type of experience. The word of God is so wonderful because it gives us real everyday scenarios that we can connect to. In other words, in the Bible, things don't always go right. In fact, a lot of things go wrong. And we say, well, you know, how did God work? I mean, what was God's role in all of that? And and in fact, we can look at four different Bible characters, invite you to follow along this morning, four different Bible characters that will show us the sovereignty of God, even though things are not going right. So we go to the first one, which is Job in Job chapter one. and, and, And one scholar said that Job may have been the wealthiest man on earth at this time. And so it's interesting that what we're seeing here is this dialogue, this dialogue between Job and God. And, of course, Satan's in the mix there and and all of that. So it's just kind of really interesting to me, this scenario that the word gives us in regards to where is God when things are not going right. So here we are in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. So Proverbs would say that his quiver was full. A man is blessed when his quiver is full, which means he has a lot of kids. So he has seven sons, three daughters, and he owns 7,000 sheep. Imagine that. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in the hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So Job obviously was a very religious man. Then verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? 
There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that this, his flocks and his herds spread out throughout the land. In other words, I mean, what do you expect? This guy's blessed. He has everything. He's always blessed. Every turn, every decision that he makes, it all goes right. I mean, of course he's going to be faithful to you. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Interesting adjustment of values. I mean, we value everything around us. We value all these things, even the things that we accomplish in life. But yet God here says this is the one thing that really matters. It is this man. It is it is this person, the soul that he has upon that soul, upon that person. You will not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Precious Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for your anointing upon it. And I pray that, Lord, that your truth will be known before this hour is out. And I don't know, Lord, what everybody has brought here into the sanctuary. Lord, the challenges that they have, maybe the questions that they have, the hurts and the heartaches and all of this, Father. We just bring it. We just bring it to you. And we lay it at your feet. And we ask, Lord, that you'd speak to us. So, Father, I thank you for this word. I pray that your anointing would be upon it and that you'd be glorified as we look at the word together this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. And Amen. Excuse me. So we understand, as we continue to read the scripture, that the story of Job just unfolds. I mean, this things just kind of fall all over the place and just kind of collapse in his lap. And, and, and there's four messengers that the scripture says it comes and tells him that, that his stocks, his livestock has been, has been, they've been killed or they've been stolen and taken away. And then he, he learns about the fact that his children, all of his children, they're, they're killed. And, and so here's this man that is, that is faithful to the Lord, but he's losing everything. He's losing, he's losing anything that, that matters to him. And you can imagine the, the glee of the enemy, Satan, as he was performing these things against him. And then, and then finally, the enemy comes and says, well, you know, I, I don't think I've even done enough. And so what happens? He attacks him with disease and sickness. In fact, the scripture uh, describes that one of the things that he experienced was boils on his skin. And, and I thought about Googling the idea of a boil to learn about what that would be, but I, I, I didn't do it. I mean, I, I know it's gross. I know the boil idea is that there's these sores that come from the inside and the nerves are exposed and there's all kinds of gooey stuff and, and it's absolutely horrible. And so I'm trying to imagine in my mind's eye, here is this man that could certainly say with all his heart that things have gone desperately wrong. The boils that is on his skin and the family that he's lost, the, the children that have been killed, his wealth that has been carried away. A man that is certainly without any question, a, a man that is having a very hard time of it. <laughs> it. It gets worse. Those that used to support him and believe in him like his friends, the scripture says that his friends that had been supporting him, they even turn away and adds more pain to the hurt that he was already, already experiencing. And, and his wife then comes to him and says, well, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, things are really bad. Well, the interesting thing here as I look at the passage is that God never does answer Job's question on why he allows suffering. 
I mean, he never does answer that question fully, completely at all. And, and in fact, in God's sovereignty, he, he, he does not choose to tell us everything. That's God's prerogative. I mean, maybe there's some application, you know, for life or maybe not. But, but that, that really is God's prerogative, whether he answers the questions or not, whether we understand fully what it is that God is doing and, and, and building in our life and the things that he's trying to teach us. But the fact is, the point is, things could have not gone more wrong for Job. And that is an example that the Bible gives us. We move our thoughts now to another character, a character a little bit further down, which is the story of the prodigal, the story of the prodigal son. And you can imagine the parental frustration. You can, you can imagine the frustration of the father of, of the disobedient child that says, you know, I don't like anything about you. I don't like this family. I don't want to be a part of your plan. In fact, I don't want to even, I don't even want to, you know, carry the name on or, or be involved in what this estate is all about. I want my inheritance now. And so that's exactly what happens is the father gives the prodigal son, his inheritance, and we read the story and the son runs off and he squanders his wealth and he ends up living with the pigs, eating the same kind of food that pigs eat. But yet the story really kind of directs us back to the story of the father. The father of the prodigal son, because you can imagine the father that loves his son, the father that cares for his son. The father that is wringing his hands, waiting for the son to come back home and to come walking back down the road, waiting for his son to really change. We know the story. But the fact is, when his father was going through that, you could imagine that the father felt that things had gone horribly wrong. (laughs) That his parenting had fallen really short. Amen. I, I, I know what that's about. Heidi and I, we've experienced just a little bit of the prodigal son. We have a son by the name of Remington, and some of you have, have uh, heard about Remington. He, he has a, a business there in Florida, but, you know, it wasn't always the way it is now. I mean, things were not always good. Because there was a time in Remington's life that, that he had left to go to one of our Nazarene universities, and while he was there, he kind of got off track. And before he had went, he thought maybe he was going to be in ministry, but while he was there, he probably got with the wrong crowd and some of the wrong people, and... Pretty soon he calls up and says, you know, I'm not going back to school. I'm just going to stay here in the city. And so he got involved with those people more deeply and he found a job. At least we thought he found a job and and we wondered and, of course, we worried. And as time went on, we learned that Remington was in a bad situation. In fact, he called and he called and asked if he could come home. Not not just for an easy ride, but because he, he, he was hungry. I mean, he literally needed food, physical food, because things were so bad. And, and so he comes home, and we didn't realize that how bad things were. But, but as time passed, he got a job, and he went to work. And, and I watched him as he had sit in the back of the church, and, and he developed a few new friends there at the church. But I watched him as the months went by, and after so many months, and I will never forget that afternoon, that Sunday when he came to the altar and he was kneeling at the altar and he began to cry and I didn't really see that. All I knew is that my son had come to the altar and I did not want to insert myself into what was going on, what the Lord was doing. And so I worked over here on this side of the church and I prayed with some people at the altar and we talked together. And when the service was over, my son was standing over here by the altar and I could tell he had been crying And when I walked up to him, I will never forget the experience when he threw his arms around me and he hugged me the way a dad loves to be hugged. 
And he never let me go. He just kept hanging on. And he finally let me go. He's rubbing his eyes. And he said this. He says, Dad, he says, all my life, what I've believed is that you were the last person that I ever wanted to be like. And that afternoon after he said that, he says, but now you're the only person I want to be like. (laughs) Meaning having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what a, what a renewal, what a revival that was for our family. And, and you can imagine that before that moment that I was the father that was wringing his hands, you know, just waiting for that moment when my son would come home to Jesus Christ. I look at the scripture. And folks, it's shock full of scenarios when things go wrong. When things go wrong. I, I don't know what you're going through in life right now, but I know this, that the, the scripture It gives us hope this morning. Amen. It gives us hope that in the midst of of whatever trial you're facing, that God is in the midst of that trial. Amen. In fact, we go to the story of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And you know a lot about Paul's life. But the Apostle Paul, in this part of the the scripture, he was trying to get to Rome. It was midwinter and wasn't in a hurry, but he knew that that, that he needed to get there. And he was trusting God's timing and God's plan. And, and for Paul, you can imagine for the apostle, he had good intentions and his desire was right. And it was a holy desire that he would be a testimony for Jesus Christ. And, and yet, in the spite of all of his good intentions, in spite of the fact that he had made good decisions, in spite of the fact that he had lived his life the way that the Lord had convicted him to live his life, things went wrong. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been in a place where you know you've made all the right decisions, you've done all the right things, you've said all the right things, but still trouble comes? (laughs) And you're wondering, you're scratching your head, Lord, why am I having to go through this? I can imagine Paul thinking that in Acts chapter 27, if you have God's word. Let's go there this morning together. Go to Acts chapter 27. Let's take a moment and turn there. And, and we're just going to take a quick look at one scenario where Paul finds himself on a ship. And he's, he, he, he's giving some advice because he could see the telltale signs. I mean, it was evident that, that maybe we need to, you know, be cautious here. And so he gives some advice. His advice is ignored. And, of course, tragedy follows. So let's go to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27, beginning at verse 10. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives as well. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. And if we continue to read, we read that hurricane force winds come upon them. And in fact, the storm is called the Northeasterner. It's interesting that even back then, like in news today, they're giving storms a title, a name, and they call it the Northeasterner. And then what happens, of course, is the shipwreck and they lose all of the cargo and all their goods, all because of the centurion and the captain's pride. Things had gone so wrong because of the mistakes of others that they had made the centurion, the ship's captain. But, but, but Paul, his response, what was his response? His response was not, see, I told you so. <laughs> you know, I, you should have listened to me. I mean, it wasn't a carnal response. But no, what, what Paul does 
because the angel of the Lord stood by him and assured him he would reach Rome and that their lives would be saved. Paul, he made it his business to encourage them and to give them advice and, and allow the Lord to use him as a minister of the gospel in this situation, providing prayer and encouragement and all along the way. And the lesson in the life of the Apostle Paul is, folks, it was a shipwreck. Things could have not gone more wrong. But in the midst of how wrong they were, here is Paul that is the minister. Here is Paul that is the encourager. Here is the Paul that is loving people, even in the midst of the fact that they had made the bad decisions. Paul had made all the right decisions. But in spite of that, what does he do? He provides ministry to the people. Amen. He believed that God was sovereign when things went wrong. Are you getting it yet? Can you get it yet? God is sovereign when things go wrong. Amen. And then the fourth character that we look at in Scripture is the character of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, becomes sin for us. And it's Jesus Christ that we talked about a week ago. And it's Jesus in his goodness and Jesus in his purity. It's Jesus in all the right things and all the right decisions and the very presence of God himself. It's Jesus. That they crucify upon the cross. It's Jesus that you could say things had gone terribly wrong for those that had been a part of the experience. And you can imagine the, the complex emotions of the disciples. And you can imagine the frustration of his mother. Don't you think his mother screamed out, why Jesus? As he is being crucified upon the cross. You can imagine those that were devoted to the cause of Christ. And when Jesus Christ was carrying the cross and he, he made it to the hill of Calvary and they crucified him. You can imagine that they had reason to think, at least on the surface, that things had gone horribly wrong. <laughs> but had they? I mean, had they really gone all that wrong? Because, you see, we see the plan of God in the midst of all of this. And in the midst of all of this, and you say, well, what is this? This is the activity of Christ. This is the, the salvation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ went through everything that he went through. And it was according to God's plan, not only prophesied about, but everything that he went through so that we might have the faith and the doctrine that we have this morning that we even sang about. In fact, it's because of Christ. And seemingly when things went wrong, that we see the sovereignty of God that gives us the faith that we have this morning. In fact, we have the Apostles' Creed, one of the oldest uh, doctrines that we've had. I want to invite you to read this with me this morning. Let's read this together out loud. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church universal, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. And to God be the glory. When things go wrong. Maybe when things go wrong, we want to ask, you know, the question about faith. 
I mean, because without faith, there's no hope. I mean, without faith, is there even a future? We look at Ephesians chapter 2 and 8 9 and, and it affirms, it gives us affirmation that it's even faith, the very component of faith that is something that comes from God, that God provides for us. Because there are some things that we will never understand. There are some things that, that we will never learn unless we go through trial and tribulation. There are some things that will never become clear to us. Unless our faith is tested. I mean, what good is untested faith? What good is it? Because it's only in those moments that God is able to speak to us and to to direct us and help us and bless us. God desires for us to make it through so much that he became flesh, dies for us, is resurrected from the dead so that we might have hope and salvation So that we might have faith that God is sovereign. Hallelujah. The the connecting with God, (laughs) in spite of when things go wrong, is called faith. It's called faith. It's saying, God, I believe that in these circumstances, even though they make no sense to this world, they make no sense in life, that God, you are sovereign. And I want to invite us to worship that way this morning. Let us stand And we're going to prepare our hearts for a very significant response. You see, there will be suffering. There will be suffering in the world. There will be tragedy. I just got a text this morning that my my favorite uncle passed this morning at 1 a.m. Life is not perfect. It hurts. And I think, I know, the only peace that you can really have is in Jesus Christ.